Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and this week we're talking about some of the most common group piano teaching mistakes I see. Welcome back, lovely teachers. So all this month we're talking about group teaching, and I thought I would kick us off by talking about some don'ts. Now, I want to set this up by saying I'm not a group teacher in the, not traditional, but full sense of the word, I guess. So we do something called mini musicians in my studio, which if you're not familiar, it's a program that's also available to our Vibrant Music Teaching members. And it is a preschool group curriculum. So we do that form of group. And we also primarily teach buddy lessons, which means that our students have some time with one other student as well, and some time solo, one-on-one with the teachers. So they overlap lessons, essentially. And we do also do group workshops regularly for our students. So there's a whole mix of different group things there, but I'm not a week-to-week, everybody's in bigger group lessons like four to ten students in a in a lesson I'm not that kind of teacher so I want to be clear about that up front because if that's what that's the perspective you think of when you think of a group teacher then this is not coming from that level of experience I guess or that type of experience having said that I have witnessed a lot of group teachers and we do do those different forms of groups so I thought I'd give you my take on some of the three three of the biggest mistakes that I see. So the first mistake is on the business side of things, and that is about not crunching the numbers correctly. When many teachers get into group teaching, one of the reasons that they do it is because they want to make more money in less time. That may not be the only motivation for getting into groups. And while I certainly don't think it's always the best primary motivation, it's certainly fine to have that as one of the factors for wanting to teach groups. Many teachers will also get into this because they have a long waiting list and they feel like the demand is there and they're just not making the best use of the demand in their area and making a good income out of it. Maybe they're struggling to pay the bills even though they have this waiting list. So they think about giving groups a go. That is absolutely fine. What is not fine is not properly doing your maths or your math, if you prefer. (laughs) 
Whichever one you want to do, you need to do it thoroughly. When it comes to groups, I advise aiming to make at least 1.5 times your regular rate. So if you teach one-on-one -on -one lessons and that's your standard rate, or if you're moving from one-on-one -on -one lessons into group lessons for your whole studio, whichever scenario, aim to make at least one and a half times your regular rate for your group classes. If you are currently charging $30 for 30 minute lessons and you're going to teach hour long group lessons, then don't aim to make $60 for that hour long group lesson. You should be aiming to make at least 90. 92, I'd say two times is a can be the minimum in some cases. I think that's perfectly reasonable still. That's what you're aiming to make. Now that doesn't tell you your rate because you've got multiple students at once. So if you're aiming to make $120 per hour and you're aiming to have a minimum of three students in a lesson, then you're looking at charging each student $40 per lesson. Hope you're following this audio maths. I know it is tricky. We do have calculators for this on the blog. So if you go to colorfulkeys.ie slash blog and you search for calculators or music lesson rates, you will come across our calculators for group lessons, buddy lessons, things like that. So you can use those. They're totally free. I would aim at that 1.5 at least, ideally two times your regular rate. Now, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because you are going to spend a lot more time planning your group lessons. It's just the nature of the beast. You can make more money in total, but you also need to allow for more planning time because there's just a lot that goes into managing that many students and being really on top of things so that the lesson flows beautifully for all those students together. I also mentioned a minimum number of students there. So you want it to be set up so that if the class runs at all, meaning you meet your minimum number of students enrolled, you make enough that you're happy enough to do the class. If your minimum is three and your maximum is six and you end up with six enrolled, great, you do even better. But you know that you won't end up running the class even though you're not really making enough money to make it viable for you. Mistake number two that I see a lot from the outside in is not taking advantage of the group format. So I think this particularly does apply to teachers who teach groups regularly, whether that's buddy lessons like me or week to week, bigger group lessons. If you are just sitting in a room together with everyone with headphones on almost the entire time and you going around to each student to work with them one on one, I'm sorry, that's not a group class. And I don't want to offend anyone. I think you'll know by now if you listen to me for a while. I never want to offend anyone. But I don't think that's a group class. I think that's a whole bunch of concurrent solo lessons with a shared teacher. That's what it feels like in my head. Now, again, my caveat was that I don't teach standard group lessons week after week. So feel free to ignore me if you know better than me. But that doesn't sound like a group lesson or a social experience to me. I think to take real advantage of a group format, again, whatever type of group it is, 
I think you should be playing games, first of all, whether that's printable games and more structured games like the ones we provide inside Vibrant Music Teaching, or whether it's more loose games or just running back and forth to get things or little races, little competitive elements between students or just little elements of silliness that you add in. I think if you're doing group lessons without doing any of that, especially if we're talking about younger students, I think you're missing a real opportunity there. I think you also need to be singing in your group lessons. Now, the reason this is something you can really take advantage of in a group is actually for the same reason as you might be reluctant to even do this. You might have a lot of shy singers on your hands already. You might have some students in your solo lessons who won't sing along with you, who refuse or who really object to it at least. If you're in a group, you'll normally have at least one or two kids who's quite happy to sing and the others won't mind too much. They won't be put out if you just don't call them out on the fact that they're singing very softly or mouthing the words or not singing at all. I would never call them up on it. I don't believe in shaming students because they're not singing along. But if you have a group, and I've seen this again and again myself in my workshop, in my buddy lessons, if we're all singing together, those students who I know in solo time with me won't really sing at all. They do sing a little bit. And it's a huge advantage to their musicianship, to their oral development, to so many different things. And the last huge area that I think you can take advantage of in groups that maybe sometimes is missed out is movement. When you have more than one student together, there's so many more opportunities for movement, for clapping games, for dancing, for singing games like we do, like you would do in Kadai training, that kind of thing. Moving around the place, even if it's just marching in time with music, is something that is so much better in a group. Now, the final mistake really does apply mostly to when you're teaching standard regular groups more than group workshops, and that is going at the slowest student's pace. You'll hear a lot from teachers who are thinking about getting into groups who have just started that they're concerned that the students won't go at the same speed. They won't stay at the same level or they won't be at the same level going into it. The truth is, they just won't. There's no way to make sure they stay matched the entire time because people are all different. So you need a group structure, I believe, that allows for that difference between students. Some will be better at the oral stuff. Some will be better at the reading. Some will be better at just remembering theory terms and that's their strength. People have different things that they catch on to more quickly or more slowly. This is something that comes up a lot in our mini musicians program for preschoolers, which is a weekly group lesson with no practice at home. It's not banned, it's just not a requirement or even a suggestion. If the students practice in their own freeform way at home, that's absolutely fine. But if they do nothing at all and don't even have a piano at home, that's fine too. In many musicians, we'll often have three-year-olds together with five-year-olds. And we get a lot of questions about that. Like, I know the curriculum is three to five years, but do I need to have a group of all three-year-olds and then a separate group of five-year-olds? Or can I mix them? As always, I believe it should be up to you and what you're comfortable with. And if you want to do it in specific age groups, that is absolutely fine. The materials are the same either way and you can move faster or slower through them. 
But what we do here in the Colourful Keys studio is that we do mix up the groups. So we will have a three-year-old, two four-year-olds and a five-year-old together. And the five-year-old might turn six during the year. And that's all fine with us. The older student, or sometimes random students at any age, will move faster than the others. They'll catch on to things, they'll remember things from week to week, even though they're not practicing at home. However, that curriculum is structured in a way that, even if a student doesn't fully participate with it at every single stage, they can still enjoy the class. We're aiming to move basically with the fastest student. Now, not going way over the heads of everyone, if there was someone who's catching on so, so quickly and remembering every detail about everything we do. But in general, we're moving on the faster side and letting the quote unquote slower student to just experience it in the moment. So they don't have to know the answer in order to participate in the class, to sing along, even if they don't remember the tune or the words to kind of hum along or just listen and tap with the beat. There are so many different ways you can participate in a class. And when we're not focused on, we must do this exam or finish this book or do this specific repertoire for a concert, it doesn't matter how fast or slow we move. It's the same as working one-on-one with a student in that we move at the pace that feels right to that group, just as we would the pace that feels right to that one student. And we let everything else flow as it does and things are then repeated and circled back on so no one ends up missing out on anything. Your one thing this week is different depending on whether you are teaching groups or considering them or you have no intention of teaching groups and you're a one-on-one teacher and you're happy that way. So if you are teaching groups already, think about which one of these things you might be missing out on a little bit. And if you're um, a groups are not for me type teacher, then I want you to think about those three advantages of groups and how you could apply them to your solo lessons. So playing games, singing and moving. Are you doing those three things? Because they're good for every student no matter their age and no matter whether they're in a group or just with their teacher. So those are my three top mistakes that I see but I'd love to see hear about what you see around or things you're concerned about if you're thinking about getting into group teaching. You can leave a comment on the article that goes along with this episode or you can find me on Instagram we're at Colorful Keys. I'll see you there and I'll see you back here next week. If you ever get overwhelmed by all the different teacher training options out there, Vibrant Music Teaching is the place for you. We nickname our members Flamingos because they're masters of balancing all of the things and making it all work in a way that isn't overwhelming. We have tools to help you do that inside Vibrant Music Teaching. So go to vmt.ninja and sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.